Sir Winston Churchill's famous speech to his people during World War II, we shall never surrender, has been used, and perhaps some people might say overused, as an example of fortitude, as an example of perseverance, as an example of tenacity, and the importance of that tenacity, the importance of that perseverance, the importance of never giving up. We shall never, never surrender became more than just a motto for the Brits during World War II. It was more than just a rallying cry. We shall never surrender gave encouragement and motivation to a discouraged people. But there is a kind of surrender that I want to talk about today that is different from what Winston Churchill talked about. I want to talk to you about a different kind of surrender, a different form of surrender, a different type of surrender. I want to talk to you about the kind of surrender that is not only positive, but is a must. I want to talk to you about a kind of surrender that is not only good, but it is virtuous. I want to talk to you about this kind of surrender that is not only helpful, but it is the very secret of your blessing and my blessing. I want to talk to you about one form of surrender that is not only commendable, but is the only way. I'm talking about surrendering to the Lord. Like Jacob, so many of us, we want to do our own thing. We want to chart our own course. We want to captain our own ship. We want to change our own destiny. We want to handle our own problems our way. We leave God out of our planning because it might get in the way of our goals. We devise our own schemes, and we devise our own strategies, and we go after them. And that's all well and good, of course, until your ship hits an iceberg and starts taking in water. That's all well and good until you find yourself like Jacob between the rock and the hard place in Genesis 32. At that point, of course, the truism probably becomes your motto, as I've seen it in hundreds of people. When all else fails, try prayer. (laughs) But, beloved, I want to tell you that prayer should always be the first option, not the last resort. Prayer should begin by seeking God's plan for your life, not making your own plan, and then handing them to Him and say, Lord, bless my plan. And so, in Genesis 32, we find Jacob in a predicament. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Genesis 32, and follow it with me. He's in a predicament. His uncle Laban, just behind him, his brother Esau, from whom he fled 20 years earlier out of fear, is in front of him. So he is indeed between the rock and the hard place. One wanted to dominate him, and the other wanted to destroy him. And here he is. But I want to tell you something. If these were the only facts about Jacob at this point in his life, in Genesis 32, we've got Laban behind him, Esau in front of him, and that's all we know about him, I think we all would sympathize with him. (laughs) We really would. And we would feel sorry for the guy. But the truth is, these were not all of the facts about the situation. 
In the same way, when you and I face tough times in our lives, and tough times come to all of us, when you and I face tough times in our lives, we tend to ignore the rest of the facts. (laughs) We focus only on the problem. We focus only on the crisis. We focus only on the moment, and we ignore all the surrounding facts. Look at Jacob. Four things that you must see very clearly here. In the first two verses, in 32, 1 and 2, it says he saw the angels of the Lord guiding him and leading him. In the last six years of his life, he has been supernaturally, miraculously, been provided for and became a wealthy man by God's hand. Twenty years earlier, when he left home and is on his way to Haran to see his uncle in Bethel, God appears to him, and He gives him a vision of Himself, confirms to him all the promises that He made to his grandfather, Abraham. But even more than all of this, before all of this, God gave an oracle to His parents that it is through Jacob that the Messiah will come, that it is through Jacob that the world is going to be blessed, that all the promises to his grandfather Abraham will be fulfilled through him, that the Messiah will come through Jacob. Oh, but when you see it that way, you have a different view of where Jacob is. Because all of these four facts I just shared with you were lost on Jacob in a moment of crisis. And I bet it happens to you. I know it happens to me. All that Jacob could think of in the time of crisis, is to be terrified. Is to be terrified. Isn't that what we do? (laughs) Isn't that what we really do? A moment of crisis comes into our lives. A moment of testing comes into our lives. A moment of tough times start hitting us. And you know what would happen immediately? We let that crisis obliterate all of the evidences of God's past blessings. Jacob was so terrified of his brother Esau that his scheming and his manipulating, his old nature began to haunt him again. His old nature began to take the best of him again, and he had to sit down and he has to devise his own strategy. Well, yeah, he sent a telegraphic prayer to the Lord, but then he's got to work it out himself. He's got to do something. (laughs) We've got to do something. Have you been there? When God provided for you in the past, when God blessed you in the past, when God protected you in the past, when God ministered to you in the past, when God proved His faithfulness to you in the past over and over and over again, and yet some rumor or hearsay, and you panic. You get some erroneous information, and you are fearful. You hear something that is based on misunderstanding, and you are terrified. And so, when you get halfway through the facts, you get into frenzy before you check all of the facts. And so, here in verse 9 of 32, Jacob prays those telegraphic prayers. But you know what? I, deep down, if you really read the text carefully… He really did not think God is going to answer his prayer. <laughs> he really did. He prayed, and he, he said, Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, you've done this. Lord, you've done this. Protect me from my brother. Had he just said, okay, now, Lord, how are you going to protect me? Show me the way. I trust you. 
It would be a different story, but he didn't do that. You know what he did? <laughs> he wasn't sure that God is really going to answer his prayer. I'm going to show you why in a minute. He goes into a full strategy mode. He goes into a full planning, scheming. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Oh, I remember from 20 years ago, I remember my brother Esau. He was greedy. He was covetous. I remember from 20 years ago. I mean, I know this guy. He is into instant gratification. He just loves to satisfy his appetite. I know because I bought his birthright for a bowl of soup. (laughs) So I know what I'm going to do. And here's his strategy. Let me send him gifts, and more gifts, and then more gifts. I'm going to overwhelm him with gifts so that he may forgive me. First, I send him goats, and if he doesn't like goats, I send him camels. He may like camels, and if he doesn't like camels, he may like sheep, and if he doesn't like sheep, he may, he may like cows, and if he doesn't like cows, he may like bulls. And I mean, you know, I'll give him everything. I'll just keep giving him gifts until I overwhelm him. That's man's strategy. And in a panic, he sends to his brother one gift after another, one gift after another. You see, Jacob did not expect God to answer his prayer the way he did. He really didn't. He was not expecting that at all. God answered his prayers in a way he never dreamed that God answers prayer that way. Has God ever surprised you? with answers to prayer in a way you didn't even anticipate. I've been there. Not only that his brother forgave him, but God himself was going to show up. God himself was going to appear to him. You see, it never occurred to Jacob that God would answer his prayer mightily like this, that his brother would be sending 400 men Not to kill him, (laughs) but to welcome him. That's our God. I wonder how many of us are able to build so many negative thoughts in our mind, in our imagination. Terrifying thoughts, negative thoughts. You let past tapes start playing in your head, and, and you go around and around and around and around and around with these terribly negative, terribly destructive thoughts that maybe either has nothing to do with reality or maybe a tiny percentage of reality. Have you been there? Uh, Not many years ago, I read this story. A man who always was terrified that he's going to have a car breakdown in the middle of nowhere. And sure enough, he was driving in a lonely country road one night, and he got a flat tire. And the Bible said, the thing I fear come upon me (laughs) has happened. And so he becomes terrified. And he did not have a jack to help him change his tire. It's so dark, it's so dreary, it's so lonely, and it's frightening. And he begins to look all over the place, trying to find just a little bit of light somewhere, any sign of life in this dark night. And sure enough, he sees a farmer's house from way back, little light coming through it. And he said, well, there's no chance of anybody coming through this road, so I'll walk to that farmer's house and see if he has a jack to lend to me so I can change a tire. And so, on his way to the farmer's house, he began to fill his mind with all kinds of negative thoughts. He began to conjure all kinds of scenarios. 
he began as he walked, began to think, well, what if this farmer would not lend me his jack? What about if this farmer turns out to be a murderer? What about if this farmer is one of those people that will come out with a gun and shoot me as soon as I knock on the door? And he kept thinking all this negative imagination was filling his mind, was filling his thoughts. And by the time he reached the door and he knocked on the farmer's door and the farmer opened the door, he said, I don't want your stinking jack. (laughs) I wonder how many of us get in that mode and fill our minds with negative thoughts that has now a relationship to reality. I want to share with you four things that you must understand when you find yourself in Jacob's predicament. Four things when you find yourself between the rock and the hard place. One, find out the cause of trembling. Secondly, understand the necessity of wrestling. And thirdly, know the blessings of clinging. And fourthly, experience the power of limping. I hope you're impressed. (laughs) The cause of trembling. I think most of us, and in most cases, and I'm not saying in all cases, don't misunderstand, I'm not saying in every case, but in most cases, what causes us fear, what causes us anxiety, what causes us to be terrified and tremble is not real. And most times they're not real. When Jacob heard that there were about 400 men coming with his brother Esau, I mean, the first thing he thought about is to become panic-stricken. What else would they be coming for? Think about it. What else would they become? 400 men coming out? They only could have one thing in mind. (laughs) Some of you might say, well, Michael, just go easy on him. I mean, after all, he did not know that these men had no evil intentions. My point exactly. Jacob trembled and shook for a whole night over what? Over erroneous information, wild imagination, and wrong contemplations. The Bible here paints a picture of a restless, agitated, trembling man in the dark desert night. Now, let me tell you something about a desert night. A desert night when there's no moon, it is so bleak, it's so dark, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And there's nothing that you can do in the night in the desert. You can do a thing, you can see a thing, and all you've got is that you become a prisoner to your bizarre imaginations. So every time an animal makes a noise, dear old Jacob, he starts singing, Nira my God to thee. It's all over, it's all over, it's all over. I mean, the moment he hears the sound, he begins to recite the Lord's Prayer. And then, in the quietness of the night, someone really comes in. Someone really actually comes to Jacob. And which brings me, secondly, to the necessity of wrestling. Remember, in verse 9 to 12, he prayed, Deliver me, Lord. (laughs) Oh, Lord, my God, deliver me. But he didn't expect the Lord to come and deliver him in person. I wonder how many times you prayed for something and you really didn't expect it to happen. Be careful what you say when you pray because I'm going to show you here that God may literally show up. God may literally show up as a direct answer to your prayers. And so in the midst of terror, in the dark of night, 
It was not Esau who showed up to kill him, but it was God who showed up to bless him. Now, amen belongs here. But you see, you got to understand, before God bless him, he has to wrestle with him. The one who showed up in the middle of the night was no other than the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the pre-incarnate Christ appeared several times. For example, he appeared to Abraham at the tent with two angels. He appeared to Joshua in the time of the battle. He appeared many times. In fact, theologians give that appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ a big word. They call it theophany. That's all it means. (laughs) And most commentators would tell you, if you read commentaries on this passage, most of them would say to you that Jacob wrestled with God, and therefore you should wrestle with God too until He blesses you, until He gives you what you want. Now, I'm going to give you a translation that might not be in your English Bible, but it comes straight from the Hebrew text. If you're listening to me carefully, say amen. It will change your life. What I'm going to tell you, it can change your life. So listen carefully. Because it's very important for every individual who knows the Lord Jesus Christ in your walk with Him and in your life in Him to understand that God did not just show up so that He may give Jacob an opportunity to wrestle with Him. No, 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 no. That is not why God showed up. But God is the one who showed up. Why? So that He may wrestle with Jacob. It's true that toward the end, Jacob clung to the Lord Jesus and wanted a blessing, and he would not let go until he got a blessing. But it was God who showed up in order to bring Jacob to the point of submission before he can bless him. Let me give you some advice that will save you a lot of heartache in your walk with the Lord. It's going to save you heartache in your Christian life. Listen to me. God will wrestle with us until we surrender. When you and I persist in stubbornness, God will wrestle with us until we surrender. When you and I insist on going it our own way, God will wrestle with us until we see it His way. This paradox can never be understood by people of the world. A secular and natural mind can never understand this, can never comprehend this. But the people of the Spirit understand this. They comprehend this. You know, in the Middle East we say that the camel can never be loaded with goods until he goes on his knees. And beloved, I want to tell you something. Until you kneel before God, you will not get His blessing. You and I cannot be blessed until we bend our knees. You and I cannot have real blessings without surrender. Though we cannot have true success without submission. There can be no true victory without relinquishing. There can be no true effectiveness without yielding. There can be no true power with God without obedience. And I tell you, there can be no true joy without brokenness. The cause of trembling, the necessity of wrestling, thirdly, the blessing of clinging. Jacob kept on struggling with God, and he would not surrender, he would not submit until daybreak. And because God did not want him to see him face to face, he wanted to leave at about daybreak, but Jacob held on to him and he said, no, don't leave until you bless me. 
You see, beloved, listen to me. Jacob knew that God was wrestling with him for his good, for his own good, for his own blessing, for his own advancement, for his own fulfillment. And so he clings to God. But what God wanted Jacob to learn is this, that all of the struggle against man got him nowhere. Now he must struggle with God until he loses. And here he clings to Christ for a blessing. But Christ was not going to bless him until he surrendered. I'm always reluctant to say this, but the truth is there are at least three times in my life when God wrestled with me until I lost and God won. One time God wrestled with me when I was trying to run away from His call upon my life for ministry. And God won and I lost and my very life was spared. When God wrestled with me regarding the planting of this church, and after nearly two years, God won and I lost. And I have no doubt, probably my own life was spared. Beloved, listen to me. I want to testify to you today with whom God is wrestling. If God is wrestling with you, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I pray that God will use this message to literally change you for God and for good. Listen, all of you with whom God is wrestling. Listen, whether He is wrestling with you over a sin in your life, whether He is wrestling with you over a determination for you to go it your way, whether He is wrestling with you in a direction that you're going that He doesn't want you to go, whether He's wrestling with you over a relationship that He wants you to give up, whatever the cause of God's wrestling with you, it is between you and Him. But I promise you this, your blessing or possibly your life is dependent on you losing to God. You know, I love it when I hear non-believers say about believers, oh, they are losers. They're losers. Christians are losers. Well, you know what? I really like that because I honestly wonder if they really know what they're talking about. Well, maybe the devil does. I, I know the devil knows because I can tell you this. I'm, for one, I'm proud to be a loser to God. The cause of trembling, the necessity of wrestling, the blessing of clinging. Fourthly, the power of limping. The last thing you see in chapter 32 of the book of Genesis is Jacob limping. <laughs> well, this is the man who planned, who schemed, who strategized, who thought he won, and now he's limping. I remember back in the 80s, some of you remember, we used to talk about power lunch and power tie and power meetings and all. I remember that? Well, this is called power limping. <laughs> power limping. You know why? Because it is a limp that made Jacob small and God so great. 
Because it's a limp that says that I am decreasing and God is increasing. Because it's a limp that says I am walking not on my own strength anymore, but in the strength of Him who called me. Because it says that I am limping because I am no longer Jacob, I am now Israel. And the word Israel means from the construction of the Word. I'm going to prove it to you. It means God prevails, or God commands, or God rules. Take your pick. You see, we have the word Daniel, meaning God judges. Samuel, Samuel, God hears. And here, Yisrael, God prevails. Beloved, God will always prevail. (laughs) You save yourself a lot of heartache when you surrender. Jacob had contended with God successfully, successfully because he lost to God. The world will never understand this. The, The natural mind will never understand that our success is in losing to God that our victory is in surrender to God, that our blessing is in our submission to God. For years, Jacob contended and cheated, and he thought he won. He contended against his brother. He cheated him and grabbed the birthright, which God already said that Esau was going to serve him. He thought he won. He contended and cheated his blind father, Isaac, And he got a blessing. But none of these were real victories. You know why? None of these. None of these were real victories. I'll tell you why. Because here we are 20 years later, and he's terrified. He's terrified. The real victory was when he contended with God, and when God wrestled with him, he lost. And so, Churchill's speech, we shall never surrender is right when you're contending with the flesh, when you're overcoming sin and temptation, when you are in a spiritual warfare against the devil. That's all good, even with our physical enemies. It's important never to give up on these things. But when it comes to the wrestling God who's wrestling with us, our response must always be, always be, Surrender. For I can tell you, true success in life will not come until you surrender. For eternal life will not be yours until you surrender to Jesus Christ and accept His payment on the cross for you. Your joy in your walk with the Lord is not going to come out of religion and churches and churchianity and rituals. No, no, no. Only when you surrender. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.